Welcome to this episode of Profess Hers, a podcast about movies, music, history, pop culture, current events, and literature, all discussed through the perspective of women's issues and feminism. I'm Allegra. I have, just confession, I have seen every episode of Grey's Anatomy at least twice. You've talked about Grey's Anatomy a lot already. <laughs> We're only on the fourth episode. I love it. Uh, so I'm clearly a mix of Dorothy from Golden Girls, Roseanne, uh, Monica from Friends, and Billy Eichner's character from Parks and Recreation, who is named Craig. He just, it's like a comedic yelling, like a non-angry yelling and then storming out of a room, but very declarative. I love him. And I'm Misty. I only have one TV in my house. Yikes. I relate most to Sophia from Golden Girls. And Which then one, Sophia? The old angry lady. It's <laughs> very sarcastic, <laughs> but funny. And then Leslie Note from Parks and Rec. Yeah. I aspire to be Leslie Note from Parks M- and Rec. Most, most smart women do. So as you may have guessed, today we are talking about television. Uh, so we're very excited about talking about TV. We both, Misty and I, love television. Not the same shows no what's your favorite tv show ever right now that you're watching that you watch it's on current that's on right now that is current okay i think it has to be handmaid's tale okay because i love the book so much yeah i love margaret atwood it's great it's a good show i haven't seen the second season don't throw anything at me and you my favorite tv show Mm -hmm. Mm, i'm gonna have to say obviously other than Grey's anatomy uh, the Good Place. Oh, it's very good. I like, I like it. The show. It's smart. And I like the podcast. Yes. And I aspire to be as good at hosting a podcast as Sean. As Mark I'm, Evans Jackson. Yes. Yes. So what we're going to do today is kind of a survey of American television history and how women have been portrayed. I promise I won't let Misty talk too much about history. <laughs> Yay, history. No. But we do that in every episode. <laughs> But we're not going to spend a deep dive in any one show. We're going to kind of do like medium dives in a bunch of shows. Yeah. But later we can do some deep dives in different shows and really get to the nitty gritty part of this. Absolutely. In fact, we have planned for future episodes and episodes dedicated specifically to The Handmaid's Tale, an episode about Orange is the New Black. Um, Crazy ex-girlfriend. God, she loves this show. I've never seen it. We want to talk about some current sitcoms that are on TV right now, including Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and The Good Place. I would like to talk, of course, about Shonda Land shows, including Grey's Anatomy, How to Get Away with Murder, and Scandal. And at some point, we'll have to talk about reality television and that portrayal of women, because that's also very important. That, <laughs> Unfortunately, it is. I just want to call it all a trash can, but... <laughs> it's a dumpster fire, but it's important. The Real Housewives. I can't wait to get those sound clips going. Man. So, Allegra, I have a question for you. Okay. Do you believe that television is a reflection of American culture, or do you believe that television influences American culture? That is a hard, dif- difficult question. I th- and so, as an English teacher, I'm inclined to say that all creations are reflections of the culture, but I think it's not an accurate reflection of the culture. I think our culture is more diverse than what's portrayed on TV, and I think perhaps because obviously there's a lot of money and power involved in production of television shows, uh, it's not reflective. But it is reflective of the power dynamics, I guess, in our, in our culture. I mean, TV even now is mostly white and mostly male. 
I'm really glad that you worded your answer that way because did I win a prize you well you get a gold star okay you get a sticker all right so what I was gonna say was it is more reflective now than it has been in the past Mm -hmm. in the past I think it was aspirational Mm -hmm. and I think now it is more reflective not entirely reflective Mm -hmm. but more reflective so can I do my history lesson yeah yeah I promise I'll heckle you though (laughs) so in the early days of television we're talking 1940s 1950s we didn't really have the kind of television we have today it was a lot more focused on just facts and sharing information Mm -hmm. and then in the 1950s it becomes more of like what we think of today with entertainment and I guess we should say that right we're only talking today about entertainment television we're not talking about news we're never going to talk about the news okay I'm just going to put that out there right now we're just not going to talk about the news awesome (laughs) safer (laughs) much safer all right, so by 1954... <laughs> Plus, I spend like half my life talking about the news. Yes. All right. So in 1954, over half of Americans now have TV and have become TV consumers. These are black and white TVs, and they're 1,000 pounds each, and they yeah, have the four channels. Ones, the big ones and the big yeah. wooden boxes. Yes. But we have TV. Okay. So this early day of television is uh, aspirational. It's an idealized, sanitized version of life. And it reflects this thing in the 1950s we have called consumer culture or consensus culture. What's that? I don't know what that is. So, Allegra, when you were little, did anybody ever tell you, you're special, nobody is you the way you're you, you're unique, let your unique star shine? Are those things not true? Well, in the 1950s... I feel like my parents still tell me those things. Because you need a lot of affirmation (laughs) in your life. In the 1950s, we would never have told kids that. We would have been like, be the all-American kid. Okay. If you stand out for something... Stand out for being the most normal and the most American and don't be a communist. Okay, so there's no letting your freak flag no, fly. No, no. Get in line. Okay. Get your hair cut like everybody else. All right. Wear the same clothes. Play football. Yes. Okay, so we're talking about when Marty McFly goes back in time. Yes. Got it. Yes, so consensus culture. This we is all how I know history. Same. That makes me so sad. <laughs> all right, so even in those early days, though, government realized that tv has the ability to shape our culture Mm -hmm. and so the fcc which was originally created to regulate radio is going to be asked to also regulate television okay and so the federal communications commission got it and so congress is going to tell them to regulate obscene and indecent material so but why are the real housewives still on tv then well, because our standard of what is indecent has changed. But if you want to call and complain, apparently there is a number you can call and complain. I'm um, sure many, many people's grandmothers, oh, are grandfathers, all the same the people who call into C-SPAN. Yes. <laughs> so you can never show something that's obscene on your network shows. Who decides the definition of obscenity? Um, that's a great question. And again, it's set by the community standards. So what is obscene to us is probably super obscene in the 1950s. Okay. Um, so this is a highly sanitized, unrealistic version of American life, right? Okay. When we look at our 1950s shows, and I'm going to talk about two in particular, Leave it to Beaver and I Love Lucy. They're very different women here, June Cleaver and Lucille Ball. Mm-hmm. And they're playing very different characters. hmm but they do have some traits in common. They're both housewives. Yes. Both of them are functioning primarily as uh, helpers to their mm-hmm. husbands. They're not mm-hmm. independently on their own. Mm-hmm. That, even 1950, is not a full reflection of women in America. 
because one third of women were already in the workforce. Interesting. Yeah. They but, they're, but not on TV. But then well, obviously not on TV. Okay. But a third of women already are working outside the home. Including, it just occurs to me, the people portraying these characters. Exactly. Working women. Okay. Yes. Oh, yeah. All right. So if we're talking about your kind of typical 1950s housewife, the stereotype, mm-hmm. that's got to be June Cleaver, right? Okay. So she's on the show called Leave It to Beaver. And this is the theme song. It ran from 1957 to 1963. It's a long, longer than I thought. Yes. So this is your 1950s nuclear family. Mom, dad, two kids. They have mm. the white picket fence. Everything is very sanitized in their lives. This Why is it called a nuclear family? Because it's like a nuclear atom. It's oh, the okay. Sorry. So... <laughs> This family is really aspirational because yeah. they have no problems that cannot be solved in 30 minutes or less. That's true. But there's never any real conflict. Did you watch this show? I didn't, but I teach this in my class. You teach? I teach 1950s leave culture. It, okay. And so I use Leave it to Beaver as okay. like the idealized, what we're all trying to get to. Mm-hmm. And then when people didn't live up to it in the 1950s because they weren't savvy consumers the way we are. Mm-hmm. They felt like, oh my gosh, why am I so broken? Why am I not fulfilled by this? Why is my life not perfect the way theirs is? Yeah, actually people, um, because we weren't good consumers yet of media, when the man and woman who played these roles would go out in public, people actually thought they were married. (laughs) Yeah, they they didn't understand. This is just It's funny, but at the same time, I feel like people still do that, right? People still see actors... And think of them as their characters. Yeah, I mean, I, am, I mean, I know that happened to the people on Friends sometimes, but that's we'll talk about Friends later. All right. So then the other show I want to talk about from the 1950s is I Love Lucy. You do? I do. Can you guys tell Legger's super excited? She learned the soundboard. These are b- both very iconic theme songs, though they are. So Lucy is different than June Cleaver, even though she is a housewife. So first off, Lucy is not waiting at home for Ricky to tell her what to do. That's true. She is off doing her own thing. Coming up with schemes. Yes. That's what I remember about her. Yes. Um, She's also different from other actresses that were on the air at the time because she did very physical comedy. Oh, that's true. She was falling down and... Yeah, and that wasn't seen as necessarily appropriate for women to be doing at the time. Interesting. Yeah. And she was very proactive in wanting to do that. She mm-hmm. felt like that was kind of her niche. Um, she's she, good at it. She's very good at it. Uh, she's also going to become pregnant during the run of the show. Mm-hmm. And that was a problem. Was she pregnant IRL, like in real life? Yeah, in real life. Uh-huh. It, they would not have written it in the show if she hadn't gotten pregnant in real life. Interesting. And then the problem was they couldn't say pregnant on the air. What? Yeah, because it was indecent. It implied oh, sex. For the love. Where, where did I think babies come the from? The stork. So they had to say things like, the stork is coming, or we're expecting, or a baby will be arriving. It's very passive, right? We're using this passive language. This baby just shows up with a big bow on it. Um, I don't know. This is a little bit different than what we said before, but Lucy and Ricky are actually married in real life. Yeah, that's true. They were, yeah. And so. they had an interracial relationship. They did. So 1950s, and we have an interracial relationship wow. on air. I know, yeah. isn't that crazy? That is crazy. Her role here is very different than other 1950s. Now, does she have some room to improve? I mean, 
He does spank her. Yes, that's problematic. <laughs> a little bit. He, uh, she gets her money from him. Like, she gets an allowance. Yeah. Problematic. And there's a lot of her being a clothes horse, right? Yes. Shopping and buying yes. clothes. And, and then... And having to lie about it. And there are jokes about Ethel's body that are problematic for me. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, the other thing is they all smoked on air because one of their uh, of sponsors was a cigarette company. Oh. <laughs> so it was like product placement. I always thought it was interesting that they had cigarettes in a drawer. Yeah. Like there was a place in their home where they kept their cigarettes. It's, it's very of its time, I suppose. Okay, but you know it's not of its time What's for her? That? She actually owned her own production company in real life. Wow. So she was like the... Oprah of her time. Kind of. Okay. And then when her and Desi divorced in real life, mm-hmm. she bought him out and it became solely her company. Interesting. Desi yes. Lou Productions? Yes. Yeah. I remember from the... She hired female writers, which for the time was... I, I wasn't aware that females knew how to write in the 50s. Yes. Wow. Yes. A few of them. Um, and she actually made one of them a head writer. Wow. Which for the time is very groundbreaking. Okay. So I'll stop making fun of I Love Lucy. Yes. Uh, the women that go into comedy later, like Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, mm-hmm. they often cite Lucy as being one of their role models. Mm-hmm. Not just for what she did on screen, but for what she did off screen. For being like, a lady boss. Yes. Okay. Yes. I like it. All right. So then if we jump ahead a little bit and we get to the 1960s and 70s, things are changing in America, right? Yeah. We t- as we discussed. So we have the women's rights movement going on, civil rights movement, and women are entering the workforce. Mm-hmm. About 40% of women are now working. Okay. So that stay-at-home housewife, while it is still a part of the American life and mm-hmm. it's still on TV, our shows have to start reflecting something a little different because society is changing. Ladies are getting jobs. Yes. Okay. And not necessarily because they want to, right? Some of this is because they have to. Mm-hmm. What kind of jobs are ladies getting? Um, it's really across the board. This is the first generation of women who have college educations mm-hmm. in large numbers. So we do have some women entering professional positions. Okay. Um, but you do have a lot of women entering secretarial positions. Uh, school teachers are becoming more female. Lots of change. So one of the early shows that reflects that change is going to be That Girl. I've never heard of the show. I'm going to be really honest with you. I vaguely know it, but I don't know it, know it. Um, this is more academic than it is personal. <laughs> But so it features a woman who gets a job. Yes. So Marlo Thomas is the primary actress here. Okay. And she is going to not only be the main lead in this, but she also does have some influence with the production of it. Okay. That's she's good. going to get to voice her opinion on storylines. And the reason she's able to do that is because she comes from a pretty well-known Hollywood family. If she had been another actress, mm. her weight here might not have carried as much. Okay. This show is going to be on the air from 1966 to 1971. Okay. And when I said earlier that Thomas had a voice in this, the first couple of scripts that she got, she rejected them because she thought the character was too much of what she had already seen. Interesting. And then she read Feminine Mystique and she brought this back to the writers and said, can we incorporate some of these ideas into this role? Really? Yeah. So Betty for Dan showing up here. All right, so her character is going to shift after that rewrite, mm-hmm. and now she's a young actress going to New York who is looking for a big break in showbiz. Okay. But in the meantime, she has to take on a lot of menial jobs and things she doesn't really care about, acting and commercials and so on and so forth. Does she get her big break? Not really. Okay. 
So um, in the last season, the fifth season, the producers of the show wanted her and the character's longtime boyfriend, Don, to get married. And she refused to do it. She would allow them to be engaged, but that's as far as it went. Because she said, if we end the show and they got married, that's telling women that the goal in life is to get married. Right, and then you don't have to... And that's the end of the story. Go seeking your identity because your identity becomes married to dude. Well, and yeah. the book closed, right? Happily ever after. And yeah. there's there's a whole bunch after that. Mm-hmm. So the series ends with them still just being engaged. I like it. Yeah, it was a different kind of thing for the time. Okay, so here we're going to talk about your favorite TV show ever. <laughs> can, can I confess something? I really don't like this show. It's super important, but I just... Why not? Mary Tyler Moore's voice is so irritating to me this is the theme song super important show groundbreaking show yeah but you don't like the show i just can't watch it hmm. i know i know bad because feminist her voice her voice it irritates me there's no such thing as a bad as a bad feminist i don't understand why the theme song <laughs> is sung by a man but anyway so why is it super important you've told me that like a hundred times okay so first off in 1976, mm-hmm. the Nielsen Company, which you know of, right? Yes. They uh, tell us our ratings. Yes. They told the networks that they are adding a new category to their demographics. Okay. And that new category is working women. Okay. And advertisers are going to start marketing towards working women. Mm-hmm. So we're going to advertise things like clothing, uh, consumer goods, and we're not going to be advertising so much household goods and cleaning goods okay so imagine women doing something other than cleaning a house right or diapering a baby yeah so they said look you guys need to make some shows where we can sell these advertisement slots (laughs) and so (laughs) capitalism at its best who knew that that's where this very important groundbreaking show came from it's so they could sell advertising slots (sighs) and at the same time there's a decision by the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission Mm -hmm. that was investigating networks and their hiring of women and how they had denied some women jobs even though they should have been hired. So these two things are happening at the exact same time. Mm -hmm. It's this perfect storm. We need a show on the air about a professional woman. Mary Tyler Moore is the perfect woman at the time. Let's use her. Okay. So um, I don't know if you know this, but Mary Tyler Moore had previously been on another very famous TV show, The Dick Van Dyke Show. I did know that. And she played his wife. I did know that. So did you know that um, in that role, she had to fight to be able to wear pants on air? I didn't know that. It was limited. She could wear pants in one scene per episode because the network still wanted her in a skirt to be that June Cleaver-esque housewife. Again, I have no words. Yes. So when she becomes Mary Tyler Moore, the original premise that Moore had signed on for was she was going to be this divorced woman who was moving to a new city and taking a new job. And the network wouldn't do it because they thought people were going to think, oh, my God, she divorced Dick Van Dyke. (laughs) God forbid. Right, right. Can't do that. So instead, it's that she's this single professional woman who had previously had a relationship, but it wasn't a marriage. Mm -hmm. And now she is starting her life over. Okay. So one of the reasons that this is so important is that one is she is single. Mm Mm-hmm. And two, she is working. And not only does she just have a job, you see her go to work. 
and actually work. So the so the show isn't set in the home, and then right. she just disappears, and then so yeah, she, you see her at the at the office. Yes. Okay. Most of the job or most of the show is her at her job. Okay. And then she does also have a home, and she has a friend that mm-hmm. lives in her same apartment building, but primarily this is her professional life okay. that we're seeing. All right, and she does discuss issues that professional women at the time are talking about. Producer before me made fifty dollars a week more than I do. Oh, because he was a man. <laughs> so that was her talking about a pay imbalance. Okay. That the man who had done her job before her, and if you watch the show, you'll see that he's done it way worse than her. She's knocking <laughs> it out of the park. <laughs> of course. But he was making fifty dollars more a week than she was. And she found this by doing um, some paperwork and actually doing her job and filing paperwork. Well, and at the time, so the boss very, very kind of easily says, oh, it's because he was a man. And, and you heard the laugh track. Right. And but the belief was men were supporting their families. Yes. And women were working either as a supplement to a man's income or, you know, just to have something to do to get out of the house. Or so, because they hadn't gotten married yet. Yeah, and, and so then they didn't have a family to support. And so it, it it was a joke, but at the time it was a prevailing belief that men should get paid more. Yeah. Yeah. And so she addresses that on the show. Um, she also addresses taking birth control pills. And that was super controversial because that implies what? That she was having intercourse. And she is not married. Oh, my God. Right? Uh, there's a pretty famous the episode. Horror. Where she leaves and she's wearing one outfit and the next day she shows up and she's wearing the same outfit again. What? Because she stayed over. She had a walk of shame. At her friend's house. I guess we shouldn't call it a walk of shame. No. Now that I think about it. No, we should not. (laughs) Bad feminist. (laughs) I'll just have that left over in my mind from college. You're right. We shouldn't call it that. So there was that and it was shocking. Okay. So tell me about TV in the 1970s. Generally. Overall. So generally, it's it's getting better. Okay. It is more reflective of American life. Good. But it's not quite there yet. So oh. overall, it's um, too wealthy, mm-hmm. too urban, mm-hmm. and too white. Too urban. Yes. So Oh, because everything's taking place in a big city. And usually one of three big cities. Okay. We're in Philadelphia, we're in Boston, or we're in New York City. Interesting. Um, okay. Kansas doesn't exist. Well, there I is mean, no Kansas. There's no Nebraska. There's no North Dakota. There's no Texas. Not really. Well, there's Dallas, but that's a little bit later. Uh, yeah. And there's and California, that's, but that's about it. Yeah. Okay. So what about racial representation? So overall in the 1970s, African-Americans make up 11% of the population, mm-hmm. but they only represent 6% of characters on television. Mm. And most of those characters are not in starring roles. Mm. So, again, not super reflective. Mm -hmm. And this is also, again, keep in mind, end of the civil rights movement. So that is being noticed. Okay. It's definitely on the radar. Okay. Let's talk about the 80s. All right, because this is when you started watching TV? Well, I mean, that's right. So that's when we were born is the 80s. Yes. Um, And when I was a kid, I don't know about you, but this is not true for Missy. When I was a kid, I was not allowed to watch three shows and only three shows. The Simpsons because my mom thought it was gross. Um, married, well, actually, I don't know why. Married with children, my mom thought was gross. Uh, and Roseanne. I did not have those rules. I was allowed to read or watch anything I wanted to. 
as long as we had conversations about it afterwards. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so, I, I read um, Intervi- Interview of the Vampire in fifth grade. Okay, I don't know how <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. Um, so I'm pretty sure my mom was trying to avoid being compared to Rose- Roseanne because my mom was and is, uh, let's say, not a quiet, meditative person. And not a follower. Not a June Cleaver. Right. Uh, I'm not going to say anything else about my mother on this podcast, but she's not a quiet person and she's not a follower. (laughs) So, but Roseanne played an important role and so did the show. Yes. And I just want to say right now that we're talking about the original version of the show that ran from the 80s into the early 90s. We're talking about pre-social media Roseanne and we're talking about pre-all of that. So just, I want to make that clear. Because we're talking about the historical significance. And and the reception of a show is as important as the contents of the show. Absolutely. So if there's a show that's got all female cast but nobody watches it, nobody cares about it, that is also telling us something about culture. Mm-hmm. Roseanne was well-received um, and demolished expectations for the TV family mom. And that it, it, aired, it debuted in 1988. She's loud. She's funny. She's very honest. She is portrayed as the head of her household. In many episodes, she makes more money than her husband. There are lots of episodes where Dan is out of work, looking for a job, and she manages the finances. She makes lots of decisions, and there's lots of jokes where Dan will look at her, and she'll say, no, we're not doing that. So um, there's a lot of actual research about Roseanne and feminism, Uh, like scholarly peer-reviewed research about it. Uh, One scholar, Rhoda Zook, wrote that Roseanne is remarkable for exchanging feminist discourse with mass entertainment, which is interesting, right? So you don't think about what Roseanne is saying when she's screaming at her husband and kids as being feminist discourse, but in a lot of ways it is. Um, She's also active with the writing and the creation of the show, um, she yeah, makes, because it came out of her stand-up act. Absolutely, and it's based in some ways on her life. Like she's from the Midwest. Um, she has a very close relationship with her sister, and so a lot of it is based on the mm-hmm. realities. I mean, her stand-up was kind of gritty realism as well. They talk about gender, sexuality, birth control, reproductive rights. They have gay characters, and they and they don't just have a gay character they as have, the fall guy right they have several gay characters um one of them is a one of roseanne's best friends and ends up being a co-owner of her small business um and they also ridicule homophobia so they they don't pretend that everything is rosy and beautiful um it's again very realistic so lots of 1980s sitcoms i don't know if you remember because you were a baby or a child like i was but the cosby's and growing pains and family ties all those families were wealthy yes. in some way mm-hmm. at least upper middle they were class. professional right they, they had professional working i mean obviously the cosby's were he was a doctor i don't know about family ties and growing pains but i remember their houses right they had big clean houses they never talked about how to pay bills they didn't i don't really even think they got into who was cleaning their house you know but uh roseanne was written with what they're calling a blue collar sensibility which i think is like a code for basic human common sense so she was just very realistic about things and so she would talk about paying bills Well, and it was set in the midwest yeah absolutely she's reflecting issues that she saw growing up Mm -hmm. and and where you do have to make a choice like do we get to go on the school trip or do we get to eat this week those are real choices for a lot of families and 
and and it did a good job of showing that people in that financial situation are kind of always on the brink if one person loses their job if you're late one more day you could be in danger of not being able to have electricity right there's an episode where their power gets cut off there's an episode i remember where she can't pay the bills that month and what she does is she sends like the electric bill to the gas company and the gas bill to the electric company so she can say i tried to pay so they won't cut off her utilities but she doesn't have to pay she is kind of stalling for extra time I think I remember an episode too where like the school calls her from one of her kids and she like can't go pick her kid up because she's working uh-huh. and the school was just kind of like, well, but you're just a wife. Your job can't be that important. Just come get your kid. Well, and there's also episodes where she can't get off work. Right. And they say basically like, I'm going to take it out of your check. You're going to get fired. I think I have a clip of that actually. Roseanne. I'm looking Booker. Come on. Give me a break. All right. I'll give you a half an hour and it's coming out of your check. Now there goes the Porsche. <laughs> oh, I just love it when a guy talks sports. It does something to me. So that was George Clooney, by the way. Oh, was it really? Yeah, playing I did not boss. know that. So, yeah, so she has to fight, and that's, and actually, she has to get out early to go pick up her kid. So, um, it was a, an important groundbreaking show. And in terms of feminism, it's great because they talk about their relationships with their husbands. And it's clear that Roseanne has a different, more progressive approach to being married. I'm going to play you another clip where she's talking to one of her friends, her perpetually single friend, Crystal, about men. And that is when Dan talks about hydraulic jacks and snow tires. (laughs) You can joke all you want. You got yourself the ideal man. Oh, ideal, huh? Sure. I give anything to have a man like Dan. He stays home, he never runs around on you, he's good to the kids, and he's hygienic. Well, Crystal, you think he came that way? It's 15 years of fighting that made him like that. Oh, you are so full of it. I'm serious. A good man don't just happen. They have to be created by us women. Yeah, that's one of my favorite clips. So anyway, there, the thing I wanted to tell you as an answer to your uh, 1950s overview is there's an episode of Roseanne where she plays a 1950s housewife. The whole episode is in black and white. The episode is called The 50s Show. It came out in 1995. Um, so she's got an apron. It's a frilly apron. She's very cheerful, bouncing around the house, da, 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 doing whatever her husband says. Becky is got, you know, blonde curly hair and wearing a poodle skirt and her boyfriend is like a hunky football player looking guy and what's funny is this is clearly so different than what the show Roseanne usually is and so it is an obvious I mean the just the idea of Roseanne being cheerful in her kitchen is already (laughs) hilarious right we can't imagine it and so the fact that she is doing this very clear satire is to me remarkable because she she is acknowledging that she is a house a tv housewife now like she's by the 90s she's a famous forever cemented tv housewife but she is unlike all the others yes and it's more again reflective of real life yeah absolutely and so the the joke is look at what used to be on tv and look at the reality that we're trying to portray now it's a great episode 
So at the kind of same time mm-hmm. that Roseanne's on the air, there's another show about four women who are friends and they are very like pro-sex and they're very pro-female and they're pretty progressive in their thinking. The Golden Girls? The Golden Girls. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's a great show. Uh, it, to me... Which one are you? Dorothy. Dorothy, The yes. grumpy one. Yes. Yeah. You know, I don't even know why I asked that. That is true. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. She's just not here for any of it. But she's also, you know, she was, a, you know, she had a professional job. I like the show because they're all um, still active. They're all, So they're all post-marriage, right? Their husband's have i think they've all died no uh dorothy is divorced okay oh that's right because stan is still alive yes uh so they're all post-marriage yes and they're all relying that's on a nice way to say that they're widowed they are post-marriage <laughs> let me start using that they're, yeah they're all kind of relying on each other and so it's about female friendships they have lots of conversations that aren't about men they have lots of conversations that are about men also but so do most women um and so it was i think very reflective of maybe what a lot of women experience and kind of saying it's okay to go on dates and have sex and have boyfriends even when you're a widow or even if you're in your 80s um yeah and not only it's it's okay to exist as a woman past the age of 45 yeah and it's okay yeah exactly i mean imagine so this is i mean i don't know i can't do math but this is probably timeline right this is june cleaver 30 years later yeah yeah I mean, these are women who had grown up with the June Cleaver in their lives, right? And then they're on TV portraying this very different idea of what it means to be female in America. Mm -hmm. And they also talked about bills and having to shuffle money around. And to buy all their wicker furniture. (laughs) Yes, as they sit on the lanai. (laughs) And their pastel wallpaper. And another thing I really liked about this show is that they... They didn't always all get along. No. So it shows like. In fact, I feel like they never got along. It's complex relationships, right? Absolutely. And they're not all living together just originally because they're best friends. Right. It was like a money thing, right? Yes. Roommates. Yes. Okay. So yeah, definitely different kind of show, right? I yeah, and created by a woman, by the way. Susan Harris created that show. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about friends. Oh man. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna confess something to you okay i never watched this when it was on air i know that's shocking what were you what were you doing with your life in high school and college i think i was having a life i i was having a life by watching (laughs) friends that that is the life you have i never watched this until it was on syndication on like tbs or something so i was like 10 years behind everyone else on this show and i don't even think i've seen all of it I'm 100% sure I have not seen all of it. I, 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 so I know who the characters are. Okay. And I know the basic. Which which friend are you? Oh, oh. Is there a friend that like doesn't like the other friends and only comes around freq- infrequently? Gunter? I'll be that. <laughs> Wait, who is that? The guy from the coffee I'll shop. I'll be that. That's fine. <laughs> Silently uh, judging everyone so else. So I think of myself. In, in the introduction, I introduce myself as a Monica, but everyone tells me that it really I'm Ross. Right, that uh, (laughs) that's gross. That I have to not in the toxic masculinity way, but in the um, academic, I can be baited into an argument. Uh, Have you seen the episode, for instance, where Ross and Phoebe get into an argument about whether dinosaurs are real? (laughs) 
No. Okay. Well, he freaks out and he's like, got to prove his point. And so there are a lot of things about Ross that I, I'm similar to. But again, so do you think of Friends as being a feminist show? No. Why not? So I, I think of it as being popular mass consumer. Mm-hmm. But I don't see any overtly feminist themes in it. And I really don't see very many pro-women themes in it. There are a few. Okay. So I wouldn't say... Educate me. ...on its whole that it is a feminist show. But I also would say that it was very of the 90s. And as we have talked about previously, right, the 90s were a time of progress, but problem. Yes. Right? I yes. think that's how we can say it very... Superficial sus- progress. Yes. Very succinctly. So there is progress. There is... So, for instance, there are these... Let me give you some examples. So there, there's three female leads in the show. Okay. Which is pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. All six people are paid equally. Okay. The whole time they're on the show. The whole they time. Get, they get equal compensation. Oh, I did not know that. I thought that was a later thing. So they they start as equally compensated and they stay that way. And okay. even later in the series when a few of them become more of the star because they are who the audience is more relating to, they said, well, you still have to pay us all the same. Which ended up being a million dollars an episode in the wow. later series. Okay. So uh, there are female friendships. Mm-hmm. Strong female friendships. Right? I'll be, they're there for each other. Uh, they do mostly talk about guys, but they also talk about other things. Uh, the very first episode, which have you seen it? Yes. Okay. She's Rachel's walking out on a wedding, right? Because she she's kind of been forced into it by social forces, right? Like no right. one is making her do it, but she thinks that's what she's supposed to be doing, right? She's of a certain age, she's of a certain social status, and she's supposed to get married. And she realizes it's not right for her, and she walks out. Why are you making a face? You don't think that's true? I think it's, I think everything you're saying is true. My issue comes with Rachel a little bit later. Rachel's hugely problematic. Okay. I'm giving you the high note. The yeah, high this notes. is this is This is as high as it gets, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Monica, at one point in the series, when her and Richard break up, she considers using a sperm bank, which is pretty progressive for yes. the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, when Rachel realizes that that guy, Barry, had cheated on her with her best friend Mindy, instead of fighting with Mindy, she and Mindy team up against him. And so and a lot of times TV shows want to show you two ladies fighting over a man. Right. And that's not what this devolves into. Okay. Uh, you know, Ross's kid has two moms. Yes. Now. I'm not telling you that their treatment of gay and lesbian culture is ideal or even good, but it is accepted by everyone in the show that Ben has two moms and that the the two moms are doing a great job of parenting Ben. Uh, And then at the end of the show, I know you still hate Rachel, but she decides to be a single mom. And people, two people propose to her basically to, to keep her from having to do it. And she decides to do it anyway. And then, you know, Monica proposed to Chandler. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So, uh, some good notes. Yeah. One of the show's creators was a woman, Marta Kaufman. Okay. She also worked on a lot of other famous shows. But there are, of course, lots of problems in the show. And its portrayal of gender and gender roles and sexuality. So, give me one reason you don't like Rachel. So, I feel like, as opposed to both the other female leads... Mm -hmm. She is shown as advancing in her career with very little effort on her part. Okay. And it's just sort of handed to her 
because she's young and pretty. Yeah, and working in a department store is not the kind of experience you would need to become a professional in the fashion industry. Exactly. So she, yeah, she kind of ding-dongs her way to the top. Yes. Yeah. I see it. I see it. I see it. So my big problem with the show is the way the dudes present gender role. All three of them, right? They're all afraid of being perceived as gay all the time. Uh, Ross doesn't want his kid to play with a doll. Okay. Do you remember this episode? No. He has a doll. He likes his doll. I mean, who cares? And Ross is very up in arms about it. Because his kid is a boy, right? Right. His kid is a boy. His kid is named Ben. Um, So, and the the other, this is what I want to play you a clip of because it's, it's pretty bad. But everybody makes fun of Joey for having what he calls a man bag. So he goes to get an outfit for an audition. And one of the things that Rachel gives him when she's styling him is, you know, a bag that's kind of a cross between a briefcase and a purse. And it's relentless what what they say to him about it. Wow, you look just like your son, Mrs. Tribbiani. What? Are you referring to my man's bag? At first I thought it just looked good, but it's practical too. Check it out. It's got compartments for all your stuff. Your wallet, your keys, your address book, your makeup. Hey, I'm off to my audition. How do I look? Uh, I think you look great. Joey, that bag is going to get you that part. And a date with a man. Yeah, not the best. But, okay, I'll save this for it, though. It's a reflection of the time, right? Yes. So I don't feel like it was so outside of left field for other shows that were on in the oh, same no, era. No. And again, so I don't I don't want to be mistaken for saying what they the the treatment of these things is good, but they did have they they were one of the They opened the shows. dialogue. Yes. That's the best way to say. It. They opened the dialogue for a lot of things. And, you know, Ross is probably got the most panic about gender roles. Like he can't have a male nanny and he has to it's unfathomable that a man would want to be in a childcare profession to Ross, and he's got a panic about it. But that happens in a later season. I mean, that's after Rachel has their baby. But in that episode, Ross is really portrayed as the fool. So, it, so even though it still has this idea of we've got to stick to gender roles, and there's something wrong with this manny, this male nanny, but it's starting to look like he's the idiot. And so then, he's the straw man that we're going to knock down. Right. Instead of saying the joke is on the male nanny, now the joke's on Ross for being so aggressive about his gender role. So do you think this is a case of where the writers maybe wanted to be two steps ahead of society and they just couldn't go that far? Yes. I think the same thing happened on Well and Grace, but yes. Okay. So you think if the same show had been written now with the same writers and same cast, it would look different? I would hope so. Uh, I, know f- I know for a fact that they would treat Chandler's parents differently, right? Chandler has a transgender parent. Okay, I did not know that either. Have you seen like what one episode <laughs> of the I've show? I've seen like I, a bunch. Okay. But I feel like I see the same ones over and over again because that's the ones I play on TV. Probably. So anyway, he has a transgender parent and it's a total punchline all the time. There's no, there, there's a later episode where he has like a heart to heart with his parents, but it's it's not a good portrayal. But how many transgender people were on TV in the nineties and early right. 2000s? So again, it's a, a new idea. So for a lot of people, it's a new again, idea. Just like it's times, it, it was progress, but not perfect. Progress, but problematic. Okay. 
So that's going to get us up to the modern era. And this is where we really need to do deep dives in a bunch of different shows. Absolutely. And we will. And we will. But I picked one that I did actually want to talk I'm about. I'm so glad you picked a show I've never watched before in my life. You've never watched this show? No. Okay. So we're going to talk about Law & Order SVU. Oh my God. The Special Victims Unit. Okay, okay, so the reason we're talking about this show is because it's one of the longest running shows on TV. Really? Yes. It was a spinoff originally of regular Law & Order. Which I've seen every episode of. I've never seen one of that. Okay, so. We are just different people. That's why we're doing this podcast together. So, it's a spinoff. It actually outlasts the original show now by many, 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 many years. It has a female lead. Mm-hmm. Um, the female lead is now one of the um i don't know sergeants lieutenant something okay higher up she's moved up in the okay. chain uh so it's showing progression in her career i love that you couldn't think of the word lieutenant well i don't know if she's a, i haven't watched it in a couple years but i Could. used to watch it so i don't know if she's a lieutenant or a sergeant but i know she's moved up okay and this show is okay again really important and does a lot of important things but can also be a little bit problematic okay so this is from several reports that I read. One of the most prominent ways that Americans get their information about domestic violence and sexual assault is from this TV show. No. Yes. Yes. So if you're watching this show, um, there are moments where it gets kind of like a very special episode mm. after school special mm -hmm, sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And it's because they're actually giving you real statistics and real facts that most Americans wouldn't have access to without watching this show. Interesting. Yes. So I think this is an So they embrace the fact that they're providing not just entertainment, but information. They try to. Okay. Yes. Now, on the downside of that, other side of the same coin, they are sensationalizing sex crimes, right? Mm -hmm. Because you still want people to tune in, and this is not a documentary. Right. But people aren't going to get that information otherwise. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're playing this balancing act with it. Um, another really important thing about this show is that they actually have been known to reach out to groups like the NAACP mm -hmm. to make sure that their portrayal of certain things is accurate and okay. reflective. Okay. Because That's you know good. they always say like they uh, have it's not based on real events but it's like kind of based on ripped, real events. Ripped from the headlines. Ripped from the headlines. <laughs> yeah. So they'll consult those kind of agencies to be like hey this is our take on it. How do you think about okay. this? Are we are we close? Are we getting it right? Um, the thing that this kind of falls apart on is that there is this idea in academic circles that SVU is pushing a post-feminist world. What does that mean? It means that the gender of the characters doesn't matter. And in an ideal world, that would be true. Okay. However, we're not there yet. No, we're not. So having female leads and having these women play detectives is their gender still just is important. Mm -hmm. And in the real world, that's important. It is. And you know how I can tell you it is? Are we ready for my statistics of yes, the last TV season? Yes. Okay. Females comprised 40% of speaking characters on television shows. The level achieved in 2012 was 42. That's the highest in the history of television. 42% of speaking characters being females. And how much is the percentage of the average population of women? more than 50. Yeah, I think it's like 51.2 or something. Uh, <laughs> and it's the same. So net, so network shows, cable shows, uh, and streaming programs, all about 40%. Um, 
it's worse if we're talking about female characters of color, right? <laughs> Obviously. Black characters, 19% of all female characters in speaking roles. So it's it's not good. Yeah. And and it, the percentage of women creating TV shows has been about 14% for like 10 years. So um, I have some statistics for you from 2016. Okay. And this is from the boxed-in study from the San Diego State University Center for the Study of Women in Television. That's where I got mine, too. Yeah. So this is from two years ago. 91% of shows had no women directors. That's crazy. 91%. Bonkers. Yeah. That's insane. So, and, and you have mentioned this before. I think you mentioned this in the horror movie episode, that if you want a more accurate, complex portrayal of culture then mm. you need a more diverse team behind the scenes and in front of the scenes so from that same study 71 percent of shows have no female writers so it's very hard to get a woman's perspective in a show if you don't ask any women right yeah and and so so even when there are female characters on these shows they're maybe not as complex dynamic or realistic as they could be because they're all written by dudes Right, and I think that's one thing in the shows that we've highlighted today, mm-hmm. that there have been women creators mm-hmm. that have been p- part of these shows. Absolutely. And that has helped mm-hmm. with the realism of these characters. Absolutely. I think most, especially in Roseanne, right? Because she yes. was such an important part of creating it and being in it. Mm-hmm. And maybe to a lesser extent, the Golden Girls. Mm-hmm. So... Um, Again, tell tell us the source of all of that information again, in case anybody wants to look up more horrifying statistics. <laughs> so if you want to know about this, Google the Boxed In Study at San Diego State University's Center for the Study of Women in Television. Um, when I went to their webpage, I found reports going back, I think, to 2012, maybe 2011, and they issue this report every year. So you can actually see change over time. Okay. Is it good change over time? It actually is not. Yeah. <laughs> That's the worst part. I went back several years and it just looked, And you're like, oh my gosh, we're getting better. No. And then like you kept reading. No, it's not. <laughs> I mean, okay, so I think if you think about where we started from, if we started from June Cleaver mm-hmm. and now we are to the point where we have women who can be detectives and we have women who can be terrible housewives. You don't have to be a good housewife. Roseanne was not a terrible housewife. She did a great job. You can have women that live with no men. Yes. So I, we have made progress. Mm-hmm. But I think the theme of the show <laughs> is one, women are people. Women are people. And two, we still have some progress left to do. We do. We do. So if you were going to write a TV show, Allegra, uh-huh. and you were going to write a character, what would your female character be like? Um, a dainty damsel in distress? <laughs> Um, that's tough I want to combine like five characters from Parks and Rec like I want to take Craig and I want to take I think we're going to have to do a deep dive into Parks and Rec (laughs) one day because there's a lot there we can work with but but in general I I, I want them to be funny and that's what I most appreciate about Roseanne Uh, and and there are lots of scenes where she's not afraid to make a joke that's edgy so I, I want somebody who's funny and I want somebody who's complex but more than anything else I want to see female character who changes over time who evolves learns grows changes and is dynamic and that's kind of the hallmark of 
an accurate portrayal of a female. So Allegra, what's next in your lady life? Well, next in my lady life is I'm going to watch The Handmaid's Tale. Uh, I'm going to start from the beginning. I've seen the first season, started over, uh, and watched the second season. I watched the first season by myself uh, because I thought my husband wouldn't be interested, but he wants to watch it all. So oh, we're it's gonna, really good. He'll like it. We're going to watch it. What's next in your lady life, Missy? So tonight I am taking my daughter to a fall festival, and we are going to do a pumpkin chunking contest. Uh, that's not how you say it. How do you say it? Pumpkin chunking. Okay, well, we will try that. I need you to say it. Pumpkin chunk. I can't do it. I can't even do it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. We're going to go to a fall festival, and we're going to drink some apple cider, and we're going to eat caramel apples. Okay, that sounds like fun. Wholesome family fun. Oh, my God. Thank you for listening to this episode of Profess Hers, our podcast about seeing movies, culture, and history through our lady eyes. I'm Misty, and I love the Golden Girls. I'm Allegra, and I still love Grey's Anatomy. We'd love to hear from you what you thought about today's episode, what you'd like to discuss in future episodes, or just tell us how great you think we are. Which is pretty great. To connect with us, you can follow us on Twitter at ProfessHers, that's P-R-O-F-E-S-S-H-E-R-S, or by email, same address, ProfessHers at gmail.com. We hope you recommend our podcast to a friend, or check out other podcasts from TCC Connects faculty. Our podcast is written by Misty and Allegra and engineered and produced by Austin Haynes and Scott January. And remember, don't tell us to smile. <laughs>